Well, we have been continuing through a series on eldership, leadership. As Calvary Baptist Church grows, we have to look to the future and consider the necessity of appointing uh, additional men to serve as shepherds, elders, pastors. And so as we do that, we have to consider the biblical basis for a leadership model. Uh, We need to think of the biblical basis for the model of a plurality of qualified men overseeing the congregation. We also have to consider a biblical profile of the men who are qualified for such a position. And we have to consider how the congregation goes about recognizing and training men to oversee the church. And so with those priorities in mind, we have embarked upon a series. And so we started by considering a biblical theology of shepherding. Remember that? We started all the way back in Genesis. And then we started looking at Jesus as the promised good shepherd and gleaned some principles from how he dealt with people and how he shepherded. And then we saw that Jesus entrusted the care of his people, his flock, his sheep to apostles, and then those apostles then to elders, non-apostolic elders, just as we have it today. Well, today we continue our look at the office of elder And hopefully this is preparatory for us as a church as we think about appointing men to the task in the future. And so this morning we're going to consider three essential characteristics of a shepherd as found in the New Testament. And with that, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We'll start in Acts 20, but again, it's going to be a topical message, but we're going to start here in Acts 20. The Apostle Paul came to a city named Ephesus. Ephesus was a city wholly given over to idolatry and the immorality that is often associated with idolatry. Ephesus was an interesting town because there was a lot of spiritual activity in Ephesus. There were those who practiced the dark arts in Ephesus. But with that, and sort of an enigma of sorts, the gospel flourished in Ephesus as well so that many responded to the gospel and were saved and actually came together and burned their books and so on, those things uh, that were associated with witchcraft and the dark arts and so on. And so religious revival broke out in Ephesus, uh, which was to the dismay of many, especially those who were charged with uh, producing idols as their profession. Uh, One day there was a riot that erupted in Ephesus uh, and... uh, really led by the silversmiths and those who produced idols, they were upset that the gospel was taking hold to the degree that some folks were giving up their idolatry. Like business was down because they couldn't sell their idols. And so a riot erupts. Uh, Paul is there after having served preaching and teaching and organizing the churches for over two years there in Ephesus. After that riot, uh, he chooses to move on to Macedonia to do some other uh, ministry work there. He then comes back from Macedonia, passes by Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, and he doesn't want to stay in Asia. So what he does is he calls for the elders from the church at Ephesus and has a conversation with them. Really a farewell speech as he heads to Jerusalem, expecting uh, his martyrdom. And so that's what we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 26. Paul has called for the elders of the church at Ephesus that he has established through his former missionary work, and this is what he says. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so Paul, having uh, Paul on his way to Jerusalem, calls for the elders for one last speech of encouragement. And in that speech of encouragement, he refers to those elders as overseers. And by the way, these are elders whom Paul and his companions appointed to oversee these new believers in Ephesus. But Paul is sure in his farewell speech to remind these elders that they are overseers over the church of God. And he says that they've been appointed to be such by the Holy Spirit. The word for overseers in this passage that Paul is using is the word episkopos. And it has the idea of being a watcher, being a guardian, being a supervisor. And notice what else it says in our text. It says that as the elders exercised oversight, they were to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The word for care there actually means to tend with shepherd-like care. The fact that the flock had been obtained by God's own blood is meant by Paul to emphasize God's ownership over the church. It belongs to him. Not only that, but it's meant to communicate the value of the church. Not only does the church belong to God, but it's a church that has been bought by God by a tremendous price. And so the church of Jesus Christ is tremendously valuable, not because of our inherent value, but because of the high cost that was paid for it. And so Paul is encouraging the elders, tend the flock, tend the flock like shepherds. And remember, as you do, that this is God's church that he bought, that he owns, that he paid a high price for. Well, what do we learn here? We learn that when we think about elders or overseers, that such men are simply stewards. Stewards, and that's our first point. A shepherd is a steward. A steward is one who acts on behalf of another, managing the affairs of someone else, overseeing the property of an owner. He does these things with the goal of advancing not his own interests, but the interests of the master, of the owner. A good steward is trustworthy. A good steward is wise. A good steward is accountable. He's trustworthy because a master or an owner must feel as if he can entrust this individual with something very valuable, with his own goods, with his own property, or, or what have you. Not only is he trustworthy, but he's wise. The owner must trust a steward that he's going to make wise choices when it comes to the care and even investment of funds, for instance. And then a steward is also accountable. That steward, because he's not an owner, is going to have to give an account to the owner someday for how well he managed, managed that with which he has been entrusted. You can see how all of this uh, correlates very well with the office of shepherd. An elder is one who has been entrusted with the watch care of the church, which belongs first and foremost to God. The elder or the shepherd or the leaders are entrusted by God and expected to exercise wisdom and discernment when it comes to overseeing the people. And shepherds also are going to have to give an account to God for how well they have led God's people. 
And so Paul says, you're overseers of God's church that uh, he purchased with his own blood. And it reminds us of Jesus when he spoke to Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know everything. You know that I love you. And what does he say? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. These belong to me, but I'm entrusting them to you. So care. That's stewardship. And so, as elders, the reality that God has paid the highest cost in order to secure the church and the fact that the church belongs to him should lead shepherds, elders to what? Pay careful attention to all the flock. That's what Paul said to the Ephesian elders. Stewards over God's most valuable possession. How careful then should leaders be? How careful then should shepherds be? By the way, we're going to use the term shepherds and elders and overseers and pastors interchangeably because the Bible does. Notice also in Acts chapter 20 in our, in our text that Paul charges the elders not just to pay careful attention over the flock, but he says also what? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. If you're going to be in steward and trusted with the watch care of God's people, then you need to make sure that you maintain a qualification that you have a personal self-watch that says, I have to be fit for the job. Like a shepherd must be in shape in order to care for the sheep, so a elder must be spiritually competent and maintain that competence in order to oversee his people. And so Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In a future lesson, we'll examine what that means, that the Holy Spirit has made Shepherds or elders, overseers. So, first and foremost, a shepherd is a steward, and he must pay close attention to the flock and to himself. Titus, when Paul wrote to him, he shared the very same insights. He said to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. A church is not in order until it has elders appointed to oversee it. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And then he says this, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And then he continues on with the qualifications. Not arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and so also rebuke those who contradict it. So you've got to be above reproach. Why? Well, because you're a steward. You're entrusted with the church of God as an overseer. And again, for Paul, a church is in disarray. It's not in order until there are a plurality of elders overseeing that church. And so we understand this is the biblical model. So an elder who recognizes that he has been entrusted with the precious flock which Jesus purchased with his own blood, will handle it with care. He'll love and value and protect the church. Such men are to lead the church tenderly, guide it patiently, correct it gently, protect it vigilantly. Such elders are to execute all those duties while maintaining a necessary self-watch, in all things, keeping an eye on Jesus. And we're reminded that Peter, before he was entrusted with the sheep, first had to answer that question, do you love Jesus? Elders will do all of this knowing that as elders, 
they will one day give an account to God for their stewardship. Then, according to Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 4, when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, elders, shepherds, overseers, pastors, first and foremost, are stewards. And that means that they're not owners, and that means they don't treat the church as lords of the flock, but as we're going to see next, as servants of the flock. So a faithful shepherd is a steward. A faithful shepherd is a servant. When Jesus' disciples would consider leadership, they would fall prey to the same traps that we fall prey to. What does it mean to be a leader? Where do you look? Do you look to the corporate setting? you look to the political setting? you look to the sports setting? Where, where do you go to get lessons on leadership? Well, remarkably, when Jesus wanted his disciples to understand lessons of leadership, he would have their minds go to the fields, to the shepherds, and to the sheep. On multiple occasions, Jesus challenged his disciples to rethink their notions of leadership. It's a challenge to us when it comes to the church. As we think about appointing men to eldership, who are we looking for? What qualities matter? These have to be defined by Scripture and not by the world's concept of leadership. So Jesus would have his disciples realize that leading the church would not be a matter of self-serving authority, but of selfless service. Matthew chapter 20. Very interesting text because this is somewhat late in Jesus' earthly ministry, and you would expect that the disciples at this time had learned a lot. I mean, you would expect a level of maturity from his disciples at this point. So it's a little bit shocking to see what happens here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Just prior to this, in the, in the surrounding context, two of Jesus' disciples approach him and ask him for a favor. They say, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your right hand and on your left? Could we have positions of honor and prominence with you in the kingdom? You say, okay, is that so bad? They want to be next to Jesus. But then you realize, wait a second, there's 10 other disciples. What they're saying is we want positions of prominence and preeminence even above the other 10. And Jesus has to correct their thinking. So in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, It says, Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Don't be like the world. Don't get your leadership lessons from the culture. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says to his disciples, don't look at the Gentiles. Don't look at the culture. Don't look at their leadership principles and try to import that into the church. That's not how we do this. This is so essential for us as a church. As we think about appointing men to positions of leadership, what do we look for? Look for somebody who you know has the qualities of someone who could lead a Fortune 500 company. Someone who's got that charisma, Uh, The ability to maybe be that successful CEO type? Is that what we're looking for? He says, don't look to the culture for leadership lessons. He says, instead, what do you say? Look at my example. If you're going to be great, you got to be a servant. If you want to be first, then look to me. 
the Son of Man who came not to serve, but to give himself as a ransom for many. The unbelieving civil authorities in Jesus' day loved their authority, not the people. They relished in throwing their weight around, domineering those who were subject to them. They were harsh, they were dictatorial, they were unrelenting. These leaders would have their positions of authority. Really, they would hold those things to intimidate people, to demand submission. The same thing could be said about the religious leadership, sadly, in Jesus' day. These were unfaithful shepherds driving the sheep like a herd instead of leading the flock like a shepherd leads sheep. Now, we're quick to say the office of elder does carry with it authority. We'll see that probably in a future lesson. It's invested with serious authority. But that authority is to be held like Jesus held his authority during his incarnation with a tender love for the people. This is a love which sees others as those who are to be served and not a people to serve the own wants or needs of leadership. Jesus drives this point home by offering himself as the ultimate example, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. That's self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. And so eldership is not only a stewardship, but it's service. It's not a comfortable position of authority which sees others tend to our wants. Instead, it's a calling which requires self-sacrifice and service to others. And so sometimes you have men, and oftentimes young men, who say, I want to be an elder, I want to be a pastor, because the allure of power, position, prominence, Uh, gets to them, and they think that that's what the uh, position entails, which couldn't be further from the truth. So Matthew reports for us that when James and John asked Jesus about that position of privilege, the other ten heard it, and they are indignant, they're upset. Why? Because they're so holy and righteous, and they think, how could they be so spiritually mature that they would ask Jesus for those positions? Probably not. They're probably upset because they're worried that maybe they'll actually be granted those positions and they want them themselves, right? One thing is sure, though, those disciples would learn the lessons that Jesus was teaching about leadership. We know that because Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And look at how that oversight is to be exercised. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. This is Peter to whom Jesus said, tend my sheep. And he became a faithful shepherd, and he became a faithful teacher of others who would become shepherds as well. And so he offers leadership lessons that are clearly born out of the lessons that Jesus taught him when it came to leadership. Don't be domineering, and he's saying just like Jesus, don't be like the Gentiles, don't be like the world. Instead, what? Be examples. So a faithful shepherd is a steward, and a faithful shepherd is a servant. We see this is not the greatest example that Jesus gives about serving and the necessity of service. We see that in John chapter 13. So we're going to look at that. John chapter 13, verse 3 through 7. You know the scene, if you are at all familiar with Scripture. 
Jesus would have one last meal with his disciples before his crucifixion. And the Bible says that after the meal, Jesus went and got a towel and he got a basin. He says it rose from supper in John 13, verse 3, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This was the task of a house servant. You walk through the dusty roads in the ancient Near East, you're wearing sandals, your feet are gross, your feet, your feet are caked with dust. It was just a courtesy when you came into someone's house that uh, one of the servants in the home would get some water and wash your feet. Apparently, this hadn't been done, and so all the disciples here are eating their food with dirty feet. Well, who's going to wash the feet? There's no servant around. Who's going to wash the feet? Jesus, after dinner, gets water, and he assumes the position. He assumes the role of the lowly house servant and washes the feet of his disciples. Now, Peter understood what was being communicated by this as far as the humility because uh, uh, Peter protests and says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus says, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you'll understand. Drop down to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am, if then... If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. St. Peter, you understand what's going on here? You call me Lord and teacher, and I am. I am authority. I am master. I am Lord. And yet, even in recognition of who I am, and in my own worthiness, I've stooped down to perform the duty of a lowly slave, washing your dirty feet. The point is this, if Jesus is willing to do that, then how much the more should the disciples be willing to do that to one another? If Christ, with his inherent worthiness, is willing to wash the feet of those who are clearly unworthy in comparison, then how much the more should we, who are all equals, wash one another's feet? Jesus is giving them another example of leadership. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A servant's not greater than his master. He's saying that when we rear up and we demand a prominence or to be treated with a level of worthiness greater than Jesus, the one who's willing to give himself in humble service, when we demand that recognition and that prominence and that praise, What are we doing? We're saying, I deserve more than Jesus deserved. He says, a servant is not greater than than their master. So what? If that's his example, then how much the more should we be willing to serve one another? This is a wonderful lesson on sacrificial servant leadership. Jesus says, if I, Lord of all, am willing to stoop and to act as a servant of all, then certainly those who oversee my people should do the same. We often clamor for status and prestige. We like to establish a pecking order. You know, we're all guilty of this. You have a certain social circle, and you kind of know where you're pegged in there as far as your status. And uh, we get most offended when it appears as if somebody treats us in a way where they're not treating us in a way commensurate with how we view ourselves. And so when we're not treated with the same worthiness or respect we think we deserve, uh, then we go to battle. We go to war. 
trying to write the pecking order so that we can reestablish our dominance. And Jesus says, it shouldn't be like this with you. Don't look to the Gentiles. Don't look to the world for lessons of leadership. Instead, look to the Son of Man who gives himself as a ransom for many. Look to the Lord of all, the Lord and teacher, who's willing to kneel down and wash the feet of the disciples. And so Jesus calls us to lay down our arms in the battle for prominence, instead to give ourselves in service to one another. That's true of all believers, but how much the more for the elder, the overseer, the pastor, who's meant to be exemplary to believers. So the office of elder is not an office to be sought out of a desire for prominence or prestige. It's the exact opposite. It is the office of a perpetual servant. Like a shepherd gives his life to care for the sheep, so too the pastor dedicates his life to humbly serve others without consideration for their worthiness. So a faithful shepherd is a steward. A faithful shepherd is a servant. And next of all, a faithful shepherd is a sentinel. I'll explain this. A sentinel. A sentinel is just a watchman. And it starts with an S, so that's why I used it. But a sentinel is a watchman, really charged with standing guard against intruders or aggressors. It's easy to see how a shepherd is a sentinel. A shepherd is one who's got to stand guard against wolves and other predators. He's got to stand guard against plagues of potential pests, insects, and so on. He's got to be vigilant, inoculating his sheep against disease. He's got to even guard his sheep against bad weather. Uh, and helping them find safety when it rolls in. And as we're going to see in a moment, he even has to protect sheep from themselves. It's the thought of that sort of vigilant watch care that the writer of Hebrews touches on in Hebrews 13, verse 17, when he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And here he's talking about spiritual leaders. He's not talking about civil leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And there we see stewardship popping up again. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. He's saying that your spiritual overseers are those who keep watch, and they keep watch over your souls. The idea of keeping watch includes the idea of not only staying alert, but staying awake. Remember when the birth of Jesus was announced? Who were some of the first ones to come and see the baby? Shepherds in the field. Why They're out in the field in the middle of the night. Why? Well, because they're keeping watch. They're keeping watch over their flocks. It includes the idea of going without sleep, protecting against nocturnal predators, administering care to the sick sheep, the laboring sheep, protecting against thieves. In other words, the safety of the sheep takes precedence even over the rest of the shepherd. The prophet Isaiah condemned the unfaithful shepherds of Israel who indulge themselves while turning a blind eye to the dangers that were threatening the vulnerable sheep in Isaiah 56, verse 9. He says, all you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. His spiritual shepherds are blind. They're all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain. One and all, come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. Then you got these shepherds, and instead of having a watchful, vigilant care over the sheep, they said, let's just go get drunk. Let's just go indulge ourselves. Ah, the sheep will be fine. 
And Isaiah condemns such men, saying, you've abdicated your responsibility. Where is the vigilant watch care? Ezekiel 34.4, the prophet Ezekiel, again, indicts the uncaring shepherds. He says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. You haven't taken care to oversee the people. You have not maintained a watch. Unlike the spiritual leaders there, who are targets of Isaiah and Ezekiel, faithful shepherds are continually aware of the responsibility to watch over the souls of the people. The spiritual development of the church weighs heavy upon the heart of an elder, and he remains keenly aware of that, and he's on guard against potential threats against it. So, in what ways does a faithful shepherd, who is a sentinel, in what ways does he keep watch? And this is going to be the remainder of the lesson. In what ways does he keep watch? A faithful shepherd, first of all, keeps watch through teaching. Through teaching. You understand that a pastor or an elder or a shepherd is called to have certain character qualifications. You see this in Titus chapter 1. You see it in 1 Timothy 3. And you look at those qualifications and you realize, I think it's John Piper who said that they're extraordinarily ordinary. The character qualifications required of a man who would be a shepherd are the exact same character qualifications that God expects of every single believer. With the exception of one thing, and that is the ability to teach. A shepherd is a sentinel in that he keeps watch by teaching the Word of God. A shepherd is one who is able to handle the trustworthy Word, and he's able to use it to rebuke those who contradict it, Titus chapter 1, verse 9 says. A shepherd is one who knows the Bible. He's cognizant of encroaching errors or heresy. This means this alertness, this watchfulness, has to do with understanding theological trends that are happening out there, uh, an understanding of sound doctrine, a, a protection helping people not to succumb to imbalances when it comes to theological truths, for instance. It means a willingness and ability to confront error with the truth of God's word, to rebuke those who are peddling it. It's those types of dangers that the Apostle Paul was warning the Ephesian elders against, remember? He says, I know that after my departure, what? Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among whom your own selves will arise, men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He's saying there are false teachers at the gate. I know that when I leave, he says, my protection's gone, and uh, you elders are going to have your task cut out for you, because here you are in Ephesus uh, with all that spiritual warfare going on all around you. He's saying you've got to be on guard. Be watchful. Watch the gate. How do you do that? Well, know the Word of God and be able to recognize theological error, instruct your people, give them a strength so that they can discern what is true, but also rebuke those who are teaching falsehood. That's the task of a faithful shepherd because he's to be watchful. And so a faithful shepherd watches through teaching. He also watches through knowing. What do I mean by that? Well, a shepherd is one who knows the sheep. You can detect, if you know somebody well, you can detect when something is off, right? If a shepherd has a host of sheep, say he's got a 100 sheep, and he's learned the personality of those sheep. I remember listening to a book recently, and uh, it was a shepherd, an actual literal shepherd, and he was talking about how in one of his flocks, there was one particular ewe who would just have a tendency to wander, 
just all the time, just wandering and getting herself in trouble. And then sometimes uh, she would become cast. She would flip over and she couldn't get back over again. And uh, just over and over and over again, this one particular sheep would constantly uh, be doing this. And then he would have to go and turn her back over and massage her legs and get her back up and, and returning to the flock. The point is that the different sheep had different personalities. Some were prone to do this and others were prone to do that. A shepherd knows the sheep. Faithful elders know the congregation and should know the congregation to the point that when you see some behavior that doesn't seem quite right, why does this individual seem short all of a sudden? Why does this person doesn't seem to be, they don't seem to be engaging the way that they used to? They're not as spiritually encouraged as they once were. They're not attending all the services like they, like they once did. They don't seem to be maintaining relationships with their fellow believers like they did at one point. Something's off. Something's different. The watchful shepherd will notice things like this and then seek out that individual to seek to get to the bottom of what's happening. That's watchfulness by knowing. Next of all, the watchful shepherd watches through teaching and watches through knowing and watches through peacemaking, through peacemaking. Sometimes being watchful over a church means keeping an eye upon how the sheep are treating one another. There are certain seasons where rams in a flock could become aggressive towards one another, and they just butt heads against one another. And a shepherd who cares for the sheep is actually going to step in in such situations to protect the sheep from one another. Sadly, there are times in a church where maybe there's conflict, division, quarreling, rivalry in the church. A faithful elder springs into action when he sees such things. Take such dangers seriously. Move to action when, when he's made aware of those things in the congregation. A faithful shepherd is one who seeks to maintain a certain culture among the sheep. Elders are charged with protecting the culture of the church, a culture which is largely defined by John thirteen thirty five, where Jesus says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. By the way, that's one of the reasons why when you come to Calvary Baptist Church and you seek to join the church, we have a book that we call Membership Matters. What is Membership Matters? Membership Matters is just kind of like that when you come to the gate to enter the fold, it's kind of just the shepherds coming and saying, okay, well, I don't know what flock you've come from, and I don't know what kind of shepherds you had in that other flock, and I don't know what kind of behaviors or what kind of ideas that shepherd really trained you with or tolerated or looked past. But before you enter this flock, for the sake of the sheep who are already here, let's uh, go through these lessons. Let's see what the Bible has to say about what it is to be a sheep and what it is to get along with the rest of the flock, right? And that's a matter of protection. That's an exercise of the watchfulness of the shepherds. That's the shepherd saying that I have a conviction that the Lord has charged me with the watch care of his sheep, and because I take that seriously, i got to watch the gate, right? And that's why we do something like that. Born out of that deep desire and understanding, that conviction that this is the role of a shepherd. This is the role of an elder. Watch the gate. So the one another's really define what it is practically to live together as a church and a watchful shepherd ensures that those things are being taught and encouraged and sometimes even correction necessary when things go awry. So a watchful elder takes seriously Jesus' command that the church love one another and works to protect that culture. So a watchful shepherd watches through teaching, watches through knowing, watches through peacemaking, and then lastly, 
He watches through praying, through praying. Remember when Jesus there, just prior to his crucifixion, went aside to pray, and he asked his disciples to pray? And what did he say? He says to his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. For Jesus' prayerfulness was watchfulness. Why? Because he understood that our enemies are actually spiritual, aren't they? There's spiritual warfare going on all around us. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're spiritual. And so Jesus gave himself to prayer. And in that prayer, what is he doing? He's marshalling together the forces of heaven against those spiritual enemies. The faithful shepherd understands that we're dealing with spiritual issues here. There's a spiritual watch care that requires that elder to give himself to prayer. As the early church was exploding in growth, remember, in Acts chapter 6, this issue arose where the Greek widows were being neglected. And so the widows are to be cared for by the church. And so in Acts chapter 6, the Greek widows were saying, you know, it seems as if the Jewish widows are being treated well and being cared for, while us Greek widows are being neglected. Well, this was a serious issue. You say, well, that's just a practical matter. It's a matter of getting groceries over to that. This was a serious issue because it was had the potential to cause division in the church. The apostles were so determined to maintain unity and peacemaking in the church that they called the church together and they appointed seven men over that task to care for the widows. And it appears as if they were all Greek men uh, to care for the Greek widows, the Hellenists. And these were serious individuals. These were men that were filled with the Holy Spirit and had tremendous qualifications. And the apostles appointed them over the task. And this is the reason why. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. The apostle said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles are saying, listen, we're charged with shepherding. We have to prepare the ministry of the word. And by the way, that's not just up in an ivory tower preparing a sermon while other people do the people work. That's not what that means. Ministry of the word goes far beyond preaching a sermon. Ministry of the word is taking the word of God in such a way where we're able to counsel and to instruct and to guide and even sometimes rebuke and correct. But this is ministry of the word in the lives of people as well as from the pulpit. And so the apostles say, we have to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Why? Well, because that's just part of shepherding and that's part of watchfulness. Shepherding requires a recognition that there are many enemies seeking the life of the sheep. And again, like we said, these are spirits, this is spiritual warfare, which means spiritual weapons. Paul says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. And so as elders, watchful prayer is the same as taking up what uh, spiritual weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10. Peter would say that we are to be vigilant, we are to be watchful. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Spiritual enemies are seeking to devour the sheep. It's incumbent upon the faithful elder to be vigilant in prayer. In protecting the sheep this way, he is behaving just like Jesus, who what? Always lives to make intercession for us. 
when a elder prays for the church, he's acknowledging that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And that without his church building work, everything's for naughts. He's recognizing that pastoring is not a work done in one's own power. This is not a matter of just a bunch of men getting together and pooling their wisdom and of their own ingenuity, uh, determining how to build the church. That's not what this is at all. This is a recognition that there's an utter dependence upon the power of God. Jesus said that he would build his church. And our responsibility is simply to use his means and to be used of him to that end. So when an elder prays or elders pray for the church, they're expressing humility, dependence, the conviction that genuine ministry success is only that which the Holy Spirit produces. If an elder believes that the responsibility to solve everyone's own spiritual, uh, or, or if he believes that the responsibility to bring about ministry success rests only on his shoulders, and there's serious dangers there. There's dangers of pride, number one. Look what I have built. Could you imagine? There's dangers of pride. There's also dangers of really emotional and spiritual burnout. If you think that the spiritual well-being of every individual rests solely upon your shoulders, that you're in trouble. When you understand that it's God who builds his church and that the Holy Spirit is real, then you use God's means and then you entrust uh, the church to ultimately to God's watch care as the chief shepherd. The elder's stamina flows from his conviction that genuine believers all possess the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit actually makes the means of grace effective. If you didn't have that guarantee, then everything comes back onto the elders as men and upon their shoulders, and they're responsible for producing growth and success. And you wonder why the average tenure of a pastor is only four or five years? Uh, Maybe that has something to do with it. Watchful prayer is especially important when dealing with individuals who have become somewhat hard or distant. As much as we say that the shepherds need to go recover sheep, sometimes the sheep are resistant to those recovery efforts. But you know what you can be guaranteed of? When somebody's wandering, if they're a genuine believer, they possess the Holy Spirit. And so through prayer, you can still pray that God will, through the Holy Spirit, convict that person, bring them to repentance, and bring them back into the fold. Absolutely essential. And so it's in that way that that vigilant, prayerful watchfulness actually brings rest to the shepherd. So in summary, a faithful shepherd is a sentinel. He does the hard work of keeping watch over the flock, protecting it from external and internal dangers. He knows the word and is skillful in administering it to others. He remains on high alert against doctrinal error and is able to confront it when it appears. He knows his people well and is moved to action when he recognizes they are struggling spiritually. He values the loving culture which Christ has designed for his church and leads the people to maintain it, seeking to protect it, which includes guarding the gate. Finally, the faithful shepherd, dependent upon the Holy Spirit for success, finds rest in watchful prayer. In conclusion, the nature of church leadership is designed by Jesus is defined by Jesus. Therefore, an elder who looks, or a church which looks to the business world or the political world for secrets to leadership success have themselves strayed from the shepherd. To be an elder is to follow Jesus in his school of shepherding. It's to learn lessons of spiritual watch care from his teaching and from his example and from his chosen apostles. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, and learn how to lead his people, we learn first that faithful under-shepherds are stewards. doesn't belong to us. 
church doesn't belong to us. The choices we make, the philosophy of ministry that we implement, it's all done, hopefully, in fidelity to the Scripture, understanding that the church doesn't belong to us. Next, we learn from Jesus that to lead his sheep is to serve the sheep. Elders are not to dominate. They're not to be lords of the flock. Instead, they're to be humble examples, taking upon themselves the character of the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Lastly, to lead in love like Jesus is to give ourselves to watchfulness, Unlike the apathetic, self-indulgent shepherds we saw in the Old Testament, Christ's shepherds are jealous for the perseverance of his people and therefore committed to guarding them through watchfulness. So, two things. If you are a man here this morning and you think the Lord's doing a work in your heart and perhaps you have that aspiration or that desire to be an elder, to consider the qualifications Remember also that a shepherd is a steward and a servant and a sentinel. But also remember that under shepherds stick close to the chief shepherd, willing to sit at the feet of Jesus for what? For instruction, yes, but even for correction when it comes to his instruction and his example. And next, as a church, when it comes to the appointing of elders, this is the responsibility of the congregation, right? And so as existing elders, we might nominate somebody, might suggest to the congregation that this is an individual we're looking at who may be qualified, but ultimately it's the responsibility of the congregation. Why? Because you're the flock who will be shepherded by that individual. And so keep an eye out for men. And you say, you know what? That individual to me appears to be one who understands that shepherding is a stewardship and shepherding is a service and shepherding requires a watchfulness. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just thank you that you have not left the design of the church, how we run the church. You have not left that up to our own devices. You have not left that up to our own wisdom, but you've given us clear instruction. And so as we consider the clear model in Scripture of a plurality, multiple elders overseeing a congregation, we pray that you'd help us be faithful to that. Lord, we are committed to that design. We pray now that you will provide men who are qualified, who have the character qualities, the aspiration, but also uh, who just have a, a deep biblical understanding of what shepherding entails and would be committed to serve the congregation in that way. So produce such men, guide us to recognize such men. We pray that the congregation could just uh, naturally look and recognize uh, certain men as those who have shepherds' hearts and uh, that the congregation at some point in the future could just offer their full-throated endorsements of of some men who could serve as elders. So we pray that you'd grow us that way, mature men uh, for that office. And then, Lord, I just pray that you'll guide us, help us to lead in a way that glorifies you, recognizing that we're stewards and that ultimately you're the owner and you're the master. So continue to guide us and help us to lead the church in a way that pleases you. Then lastly, Lord, we just pray this morning for any who are here who are not yet believers. Though this is a message on church leadership, we know your Holy Spirit can work, and we pray that you'd impress upon the hearts of the unbeliever that they need Jesus and that uh, they really should return to him as the shepherd and overseer of their souls. Lord, we thank you for this. Thank you for your goodness to us and your mercy, and pray that you'll continue to bless Calvary Baptist Church. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.